The USA Hawks take out the America's Nines. Greece are one step closer to their first World Cup. And the biggest rugby league crowd anywhere in the world last weekend was for a match in Barcelona. I'm Michael Carboni. These topics and so much more on episode 24 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. Hey guys, thanks for joining me yet again for another journey around the rugby league world and my regular co-host, Jake and Charlie, they, w- they won't be available to record for the next few weeks. Now, I know I've recorded one or two episodes solo in the past, but let me tell you, it can get pretty lonely, and I do feel a little bit crazy talking to myself. So I've decided to turn a negative into a positive, and we'll be inviting special guest co-hosts to join me each week during this time. So tonight, we've got a co-host all the way from Toronto in Canada. He's one half of the Toronto Wolfpack fan-produced podcast, The Howling Hour. And last weekend, I believe he made his commentary debut I think it was his debut at the America's Nine. So welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, Gareth Reed. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Uh, really excited to be a part of this. <laughs> was it your debut at the America's Nines in the commentary box? Or Yeah, it, it absolutely was. I mean, you know, I've always fancied myself a bit of a, bit of a couch commentator there. Uh, can't, can't seem to stop shouting at the TV when I'm at home, but good to, uh, good to actually get you know, a microphone in the hand and, and give it a go. And hopefully I didn't sound like a complete idiot whilst I was doing it, but... <laughs> No, man, you, you did a good job. It was good to hear yourself, your your um your your howling hour partner Rob and also Nate Gladden all together. It was kind of uh it was pretty cool for me to hear, you know, a few guys from a couple of different podcasts that I listen to all together in one spot. So that was awesome, man. So like for those who don't listen to the Howling Hour and, and firstly, look they should, but can you give the listeners uh your two sentence origin story just so they know who I'm talking to? Yeah, absolutely. So uh I'm I'm originally a uh, Canadian born uh, lad, but the accent betrays me, and I, I, I ended up sort of growing up in between the UK and, and other parts of the world, but came back to Canada and uh, embraced rugby league over here, and was or was a previous uh, Canada Wolverine squad member, and you know with the the development of the Toronto Wolfpack and uh, the growth of rugby league over here, I decided to you know try and get involved how how I can. And myself and my co-host Rob, who does the game day announcements for the club, decided to sit down last winter and uh, you know hash out a plan to to do this this podcast, the Howlin' Hour, and uh, that's what we've been rolling with ever since January of this year, and it's been an absolute blast. And here I am now. I find myself you know at the top of Mount Everest when it comes to <laughs> the rugby league podcasting world, and on the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. What can I say? <laughs> Mate, I don't know if it's the top of Everest, but uh, mate, I'll I'll take it. And look, I I love getting all my Toronto Wolfpack info from you guys. And I was wondering about your accent, man, because I just wasn't sure where it was from. And uh, but at least you got Rob, mate. He gives you some credibility because his accent is very, very Canadian. Or yeah, he's, he's you got yeah, you guys you guys have a good rapport, rapport as well. It's fantastic. I appreciate it. That's it. Yeah, at, at the heart of it all, I'm just a plastic Canadian. 
I was merely born here, but raised abroad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mate, well, we've got plenty to talk about. So we had four topics lined up. So we're going to talk America's Nines, which is the original reason I had you on the show. We're also going to talk yep. about Greece versus Norway. We're going to talk yep. about the game in New Camp in Barcelona between Catalan and Wigan. Uh, I, I can't have you on and not talk about Toronto Wolfpack, who played, uh, who got some payback against Toulouse at the Summer Bash. So we'll talk about yes, that. But, but this morning we heard uh, some great news from the RFL and they've announced their decision on the future of the North American clubs. So we might get into that first. What do you reckon? Yeah, sounds like a plan to me. All right, so Gaz, so the RFL have released a statement on the future of the North American clubs this morning, uh, Aussie time that is. Um, so in summary, the application to relocate the Hemel Stags to Ottawa has been agreed to in principle, which is great news. Eric Perez and his consortia are hoping to confirm they'll be ready to go for the 2020 League One season. Meanwhile, the RFL and the New York bid team have agreed that 2020 may not be achievable for them uh, without uh, placing the new club under undue pressure, but they have encouraged yeah. the club to work towards entry into League One in 2021. I mean, it's massive news, and it's what we're all been hoping for and talking about for quite some time. Let's start with Ottawa, mate. So as a Toronto fan, yeah. like, how are you feeling about this one? Pumped. Absolutely pumped. I mean, just in general, uh, you know, expansion of rugby league and the addition of these new teams, I think, is really going to help, um, you know, grow the sport on a global platform and, and get some much-needed interest um and and we are, you know, even as as Toronto fans, and normally you see that that rivalry between Toronto and Ottawa, especially when it comes to hockey, the Maple Leafs versus the Senators, we're yeah. very very partisan when it comes to that. But when it comes to rugby league, uh, I think you know fans here of the Wolfpack are just as excited about the prospect of an Ottawa team entering as soon as 2020, uh, if not 2021. So definitely, the overarching consensus is that. This is two thumbs up. Let's get this done and let's get them in ASAP without uh, without it being a, a bit of a you know a bit of a cluster and, and a rush. So yeah, overall pretty positive. Yeah, I feel like they're going to be a bit of a sister side for you guys because you you, you guys will be in. If you don't mind me saying, you'll be in Super League next year, so they'll still be quite a few years off. We now. hope so. We hope <laughs> we. <laughs> we plan. Sorry, on Touch wood, touch wood. But, uh, but you know, you won't be playing each other for a little while, so it'll sort of be like a big brother, little brother sort of situation, which I think will be cool. But Ottawa definitely talking about developing some Canadian-born players and things like that. Mate, 2020, do you think do you think they'll have enough time to get in? Well, this is the thing, you know, like they, they it's essentially, from what we've gathered, a transferal of the Hemel Stags from one location to another. So the great thing here and, and why I think they can be ready for 2020 without too much stress is the fact that they already have a squad who played together in League One for some time now. And currently they're obviously playing in uh, outside of League One for this season whilst yep. this, uh, this, this whole process has been going on. But they have a squad together. So the core and the foundation of the player base is already there and it's already ready and raring to go. So I think with a few... Uh, you know, the bit of maybe a bit of splashing the cash and uh, and a few key additions to the squad um, in the off season and between now and 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 the off season, I think they could be in a position to go. The main thing, from my perspective, is the logistics of of everything. Can they can they figure out the scheduling, the flights, the hotels? Because I'm sure it's going to be the same kind of deal for the Ottawa Stags as it was for the Toronto Wolfpack having to foot the bill and work out the logistics for all the visiting teams as well as themselves 
And that obviously takes a lot of time, a lot of effort and can be, you know, you know how stressful it could be just to, just to book a holiday <laughs> for your own family. Now figure out doing that for two squads of 30 odd players plus supporting staff. It can be an absolute nightmare, I'm sure. Well, I guess the good news is Eric Perez has been there, done that with Toronto, and, and I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Uh, you, you, I echo your sentiments, mate, exactly what you're saying. I think Charlie and I spoke about it quite a few episodes ago. Um, Ottawa would be ready to go with a core squad from Hemel. Uh, New York, on the other hand, it's a little bit different. They're starting from scratch. Um, yeah. So they're looking now at, I guess, 2021 for that opportunity. Um, do you think maybe that the RFL dragged the chain on this one a little bit? I mean, New York were ready, ready to start planning late last year uh, they've had to wait all this time what's your thoughts on that yeah absolutely this is something that rob and i've been saying on a howl now we we do feel like there has been at times a bit of a kicking it kicking the can down the road feel from the rfl but you know yeah. what at the end of the day uh they've, they've got to do their due diligence and they've got to be sure that much like with toronto it's not we we can't have any of these expansion teams be a flash in the pan um, you know, like overnight um, success and then failure. It's got to be something that's long-term, sustainable, and and can can last the test of time. Uh, we've seen, you know, obviously with clubs in the UK in recent times, storied clubs with almost 100 years or even more of history that still struggle financially. Now, whether that's because they're just a small, small market team that are overstretching, who knows, but uh, we can't afford, or the sport certainly can't afford, I think, to, to have these these overnight successes and failures and, and I get why they've dragged their feet at times perhaps, but it is frustrating when you see the potential of, of New York. I mean, we've mentioned this, Rob and I on, on the Howlin' Hour, if Toronto represents a multi-million dollar sporting potential and sporting market, New York represents that billion dollar market potential for, for sports in general. I mean, just look, look at the teams that they have there in place and you can argue that there's a saturation of sporting uh, choices for fans and, and how it has a rugby league club with no no history of the sport really or very little history of the sport in the, in the country gonna gonna carve out their market share but I mean you just got to see the the, the, the fanatical uh, work that's being done at the community level of the sport in in the USA in order to realize that there is just such huge potential and I mean Rob and I have just been saying just say yes to the RFL, just say yes. But I do agree with you that, you know, they've got a squad that they are going to need to build as well as the logistical nightmares of, uh, of, of, of getting everything sorted for 2020 that perhaps 2021 does represent, uh, you know, the better chance for them to make it a, a real success. And, uh, and I think that's where realistically, even if they had drag, you know, hadn't dragged their feet so much, the RFL 2021 is probably the more realistic chance at this rate. Yeah, it's the way to go. I, I think they kind of would have been shooting themselves in the foot a little bit by letting both sides enter in the same year. Would have made things difficult. Um, and they kind of would have been, I guess, eating from the same plate in a way. Um, I, I'd like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head too, I'd love to see New York, as they start to build up for 2021, maybe enter a side in the USARL next year, just for as a one-off, just to sort of get things ready and learn, you know, a bit of the day-to-day -day of running a rugby league club. There's uh, the New York Knights are no longer Absolutely. there. So, you know, it could be a good little opportunity and uh, just a good way to start embracing with the local community. I know a lot of their players in 2021 won't be, won't be Americans or they, oh, there might be a few there, I suppose. But um, just really start getting involved and start trying to develop some players. It would be nice. Mate, final question without notice on this topic, I guess. But we mentioned, uh, I'll take a step back, the Ottawa Stags. 
Do you think yeah. they'll keep the stag's name? <laughs> I don't know how I you feel about the stags. That's a, that's a very good question. I mean, <laughs> again, Rob and I joked about this. We're thinking maybe they just get, get called like the Ottawa bureaucrats or the Ottawa red tapers or something like this. But, um, you know, it, it would be a nice, a nice gesture to the fans of the Hemel Stags to maintain the Stags moniker and, um, and, and keep that link to, to the original history of the club. You don't want to alienate the original faith, the, the original fan base. And, and I feel like there's going to be a little bit of that when, when the club do kind of officially relocate, relocate quote unquote to Ottawa. Um, you know, obviously at, at the, at the heart of it, they're still going to have a lot of big ties to the UK and big ties to, to the Hemelstacks. So, um, yeah, I could see them very much keeping that and just re refreshing the brand and, and, and doing a, you know, a new and exciting logo and branding and marketing package, much like they did with the Wolfpack. Um, yeah, I, I guess they should keep it in my opinion, at least for now, they can always rebrand later, maybe. Yeah, awesome. And I think we can agree. Look, great news. Uh, a few, a, a short few months ago, I don't think we were expecting one or both of these teams to be admitted. So just for the news that th the plan is there for both, it's fantastic stuff. So the Americas Absolutely. are coming. <laughs> That's it. We're, we're, we're here to take part. Take over, I thought you were going to say. <laughs> Guys. Well, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you want to show your support for New York Rugby League, then I know Mascot Browns at mascotbrowns.com.au. They have some New York Rugby League merchandise available, some awesome shirts and uh, some awesome caps as well. So jump on there, check it out. If you use the discount code uh, KANGAROOCOURT, that's Kangaroo C-A-U-G-H-T, you'll get 10% off at checkout. So check out mascotbrowns.com and mascotbrowns.com.au. Mate, the original reason I had you on was uh, to talk America's Nine. So we're going to get yourself and Rob to to record a little segment for us about what happened over at Toronto's Lamport Stadium, where the first ever America's Nines was hosted uh, last weekend, last Saturday. But I thought since I've got no co-host, I might as well invite you on for the entire show. So I'm glad you're here, mate. Um, you were on the you're on the ground commentating for most of the day. So what yep. were some of your highlights from the event, man? You know what? It was it was just overall a great day, I think, for the sport uh, here and in, in North America. Um, you know, a showcasing of of what what the community sport is like beyond the professional game that so many fans have become accustomed to over the last few years. We saw you know uh, three three nations and uh, an amalgamation of nations with the Latin Heat. Uh, go toe to toe and, and you know punch for punch essentially and blow for blow and represent their nations with with pride and with passion and we also saw you know some some fantastic a young development of women's rugby league which is something that the RFL in the UK have been pushing for with their you know 21 by 21 campaign and yeah. I know the you know, the women's NRL is, is is growing as well as the women's super league. And it's great to see that uh, the, the CRLA um, is doing their part as well to, to try and grow and develop uh, women's rugby league here in Canada. Uh, it was a great day for the event. You know, we had we had good weather. It, it started off nice and sunny, but it wasn't too hot. You know, these these tournament format uh, sessions where you you, you got to get up for every game and then you got a short recovery back up for it and, and you know it's it's the highs and lows the emotional and physical stress and, and and drain on the day and we just saw some great running football at the end of the day some great running and exciting play by all of the teams 
and uh, yeah, some close fought wins by 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 all of the all of the countries that took part. In the end, the USA uh, ran out the winners against Canada in the grand final, twenty points to eight. And obviously, being a Canadian, I was a little bit disappointed <laughs> that the boys couldn't come away with the with the big win there. But um, perhaps a fair reflection uh, on the day of of how good the USA were. Um, and yeah, they got the win. What can I say? Mate, you can be proud. I think Canada in the men's, I mean, the women's, the women's kicked ass. So the Canadian women won. There was no surprise there. They're ranked number four in the world in rugby league. And it's, it's kind of a shame that they haven't been invited to the World Cup nines over here in Sydney. Uh, yeah. Pup in your guineas there. So you can't really argue with that. But it would have been nice to have, to have your ladies over here as well. But man, in the men's, in the men's, no one expected Canada to make the final. Everyone was expecting this USA-Jamaica sort of rivalry to continue. But your, your guys your guys played well. You actually drew with the USA 14-0 in the group stages. And then that was 20, a tight one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah to 20 to 8. I think there, there was a point there where I was watching along and listening to, to yourself and Nate commentating and thinking Canada could have this. But, of course, the, the States ran away with it in the end. The other finals match was Jamaica 34 over the, over the Latin Heat 4. But I think Canada were a real surprise packets, man, and you should be really proud. But um, I guess my next question is, who, who impressed you? You got to watch most of these games, if not all of them. I only watched the finals and, and a few of the later group stage matches. But who impressed you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I jotted down there are a few names from each from each of the teams that were partaking that that really yeah, jumped yeah. out at me. You know, I'll, I'll hit you with them. Unfortunately for, for the Jamaica one, they didn't provide us with a team sheet, so I'm still waiting to get confirmation on the exact names. But you know, they, they had two absolute big men out there who were really trying to you know rally the team around them and get those big yards and, and chew up the meters from uh, from just big bruising carrying uh, number numbers 19 and number 17 now. Like I said, I'm, trying, I'm still trying to get confirmation on their exact names. They didn't give us a team sheet, um, but those two boys stood out for me for Jamaica. They were they were real powerhouses. Uh, the Latin Heat, uh, Lang, Jay Lang, and Jose Barahona. They were absolute um, beasts for the Latin Heat there. And again, two guys who just kind of you know talismans for the for the team. They 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 pinned the the hopes of that team on their back, and they just sort of carried with with absolute determination and and yep. great leg drive. Um, Nate Gladden also pulling, <laughs> pulling on pulling on the Latin Heat jersey there under the heritage tag. That was great to see him getting uh, casually roped into playing last minute. And uh, he, Nate, he, did, he, Nate, Nate did not sorry. stop trying. He he just kept going and going <laughs> and going. And he got uh, he was marking up a, a Jamaican guy who was about twice his size. And uh, I felt sorry for him, man. But he looked like he was having a good time. Yeah, he definitely did. I mean, he he came. We, I, I was having a uh, having a cheeky beer with him in in the pub at the end of the day, and uh, he did look like he was perhaps a little bit worse for wear and beaten up there. Lost a lot of the skin on his uh, on his left leg, but I, he, you know he was he was there with a big grin across his face, having an absolute blast. And, he would have loved um, it. Oh, he definitely loved it, and I know that he wants to be back for for the next one, um, and and. But this time, I think purely in the commentating capacity and 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 not having to to pull on the jersey. I mean, he's 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 perhaps a little bit older than the rest of the guys that were on the field there, and not <laughs> taking anything away from him because he, he he did put himself about and uh, and give it his all. So that was great to see. Um, Canada. Uh, there were a few names that stood out from uh, there for me. Jay Park um, yep. was one of the big ones. Again, another another big bruising ball carrier. Uh, very dynamic. Uh, with with ball in hand, just, despite him, you know, operating as a prop, 
Uh, I thought he was great. Uh, Mikel Borgren, he got a hat-trick in the uh, the opening game against uh, Jamaica. So he looked pretty sharp out wide. Same with Tony Felix, who's a longtime stalwart of the Canada Wolverine squad. Uh, he and I were in the squad together in, in, in 2013. And I believe, oh, cool. in fact, he was, he was back in the squad, or he started in the squad in, in 2010 when the well, Wolverines kicked off. So, yeah. you know, long, long-term servant of the game here. And uh, great to see him. Uh, representing the Wolverines in Canada uh, on, on this kind of a platform too. Uh, USA, two big standouts for me there, starting with Stanley Wynn, who was wearing yep. the number one jersey for them. He's big, tall, rangy, fast guy. Once he gets his legs out in front of him, he's tough to catch and tough to stop. And then perhaps the standout player of the, of the tournament for me, just with his tenacity all over the field in offense and defense, you know, uh, Jamil Robinson is a guy that uh, we've we've seen sort of all over the world now in, in, in rugby yeah. league. Whether he be playing at the community levels in Australia, he was over in uh, in, in Red Star Belgrade and Serbia. Now he's back in the US and looks like he's set to to take part for I, I guess would be the uh, the Brooklyn based team in the USARL, I believe. And he was just he was a dynamo. The guy was everywhere. He was doing his absolute best. Like it just and, and Nate's so right. He, they call him shoelaces for a reason. If he gets even one shoelace <laughs> in his hand, he has taken you down. There is nothing you can do about it. And so is he that, was fantastic. He said something interesting there to me that I didn't know about. Is Jamil sticking around, around for Brooklyn? Yeah, oh, I think awesome. so. I think, I, I think that's exactly it. He's going to be back in the U.S., uh, is my understanding. Waiting for exact confirmation on that one. Um, but certainly, at least for now, he looks like he's based back in the U.S. And we'll see where... We'll see where his rugby league journey takes him next. Well, if that's true, then uh, what I'm about to say next uh, carries a little bit more weight now because I had a little bit of a glimpse into the future from this tournament because a, a couple of – there was one, one team I want to talk about that impressed me, but one player that I want to talk about that impressed me. So new Brooklyn Kings recruit Kevin Reed Jr. And he certainly yes. wasn't like man of the match or anything like that in these, in these games, but there was a try that he scored in that grand final. If you If you – squinted for a second you would have thought it was greg inglis the way he was running in his prime um (laughs) it was it was a fantastic try the way he moves was just amazing to watch i think the brooklyn kings have looked into the future they're going to win the usarl this year i think kevin reed jr is going to be close to mvp and if uh and if jamil's coming back then i think uh that just solidifies (laughs) solidifies my little my little uh look into the future there but the team that i wanted to talk about was jamaica because yeah. look, I know that, I know they came third, and and a lot of people were expecting them to to make the grand final or, or take this thing out. But we've got to remember that a, a lot of these players were young guys from their domestic side. It's not it's none of really not many of the boys um, took part in the championship last year, which saw them qualify for the World Cup. So this the um, Romeo Monteith was blooding a new team here, and I've got That's to say it. they were they were big, they were strong. They were fast. They were very skillful. And I, th- I think looking back into my crystal ball again, I know they're starting to play rugby league in schools over in Jamaica. And if we can get a generation of players who've grown up playing the game, then they're going to be something special in, in the decades to come. I think we could. it wouldn't be hard to get Jamaica to that sort of the sort of level that a side like Samoa is at right now. They're just built for the game. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, just athletes. Ever, there was, you could clearly see it. Whilst maybe the basic skills might have been lacking at times, and and uh, you know, just as it seemed uh, that whenever Jamaica started getting a bit of momentum, you know, an unfortunate, uh, unforced handling error would 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 halt their 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 gain up the field. But um, 
yeah, to a man, athletes, they were fast, they were agile, they put their bodies, uh, bodies into the, into the tackles and the ruck situations. It was, uh, it was great to see. And yeah, definitely you're right there. Romeo Monteith came out and, uh, and did state that he was trying to blood the sort of next generation of, um, Jamaican reggae warrior. And that, that's just great. That's prudent planning. I think, you know, you look at, at uh, God, I don't really want to talk about it too much, but you look at the other code of rugby and sevens <laughs> is, is used as one of those platforms to develop youthful talent and, and get them experience uh, at a high level of intensity to bring them along. And I think that this kind of a competition, especially for, for a country like Jamaica, could very much be um, one of those ways that they can they can develop new talent and grow as a nation. I mean, the fact that Romeo and, 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 and the Brain Trust over there in Jamaica have managed to grow the game, I believe I'm right in saying, to you know, over a thousand registered participants is fantastic. You can just see on their social media channels that they've got youth rugby in schools, youth rugby league in schools, a collegiate setup, of course, the open, the open uh, age men's competition. Um, and now that they've had this Jamaican heritage side take part in the, in the women's competition, you know, I'm very excited for the future of Jamaican rugby league. And I think they're just going to go from strength to strength as, as long as people like Romeo are involved in the sport over there. Yeah, he's an absolute saint. And uh, they're, they're definitely doing all the right things over there. But what, what has this been for rugby league in Canada, having this event there? You know, I, I'm guessing a lot, of the, a lot of the fans who came out to watch this day, this event, were Toronto Wolfpack fans. Uh, what, what do you think this means and, and how do you think this has helped to grow the sport over there? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I think, I think a, a lot of the fans that came out um, beyond the sort of friends and family of, of the guys that were taking the field were, were Wolfpack fans, which is great to see um, because, you know, we as community uh, rugby league players here want to, want to see, you know, the, the Wolfpack, uh, the, the success and the interest in the Wolfpack translate to bodies, you know, bodies on the field in the ORL and beyond, whether in British Columbia, Alberta. So I think what this what this gives is a great opportunity for the CRLA to really do a, a big sort of recruitment drive, not only of the men's side of the game, but the women's side of the game as well. And get some, you know, get get some interest in some registrations, players signing up and giving it a go. And hopefully that just translates to long term uh, long-term players sticking around and beyond that as well we there was a little showcasing for for, for kiddies rugby league uh, yeah. during the day as well and I know that there's there's you know obviously we've got the Georgina Griffins of the first junior rugby league club in Canada and I know that there are there's there's Paul Buchanan who's a, a long-term servant of, uh, of the CRLA is in the process of starting uh, another junior rugby league club in in the very south of Ontario so you know, maybe maybe kids take a look at this and, and and watch it on social media and say, hey, this looks like a fun game that I can take part in, and and how can I do that and and, and actually reach out and try and uh, try and pick up a ball. It just it's got to start somewhere, and I, I think events like this are where they begin. Mate, definitely, and I'm glad you mentioned Paul Buchanan, man, because he um he does a lot of work quietly behind the scenes over there. I've, I speak to him every now and then. He's a massive Dragons, St George Dragons fan which yep. uh, means he's a friend of mine, that's for sure. And um, <laughs> hopefully I can get him or someone from the CRL on uh, one of these days because I'm fascinated by what's going on over there and, and you know, I want to shed some light on it and, and see how it's growing. So that's awesome, man. Um, I've heard some talk about, you know, this event maybe happening again next year. 
Uh, do you know anything about that? I originally heard it would be happening every two years, but but what do you know? Uh, you know what? You, you know as much as I know at this point. Um, I'd love to say that it's definitely going to be back next year and every year hereafter. Um, you know, we, it's been touted as the inaugural America's Nines, which does hint at the fact that it will be back. And I'm very <laughs> happy to hear that. Um, I, I would love to see it as kind of like maybe the, the, the opener to the domestic season in, uh, in Canada and the USA. Um, yeah. It's obviously a bit, you know, we're getting, getting on in the Jamaican season. They, they get much more uh, accommodating weather over the winter months than we do yeah, uh, in, yeah. order to, in order to run their season. So and come the summer, it's just too hot and humid for them. And, and it's the rainy season, so they probably wind down, I suspect. Um, but it would be a great thing to see, you know, at least every other year, I would personally love to see it on an annual basis. Um, it really, I guess, comes down to the the logistics of it all and uh, what's going on elsewhere in the rugby league world. Um, yeah, I guess but, yeah. I guess it's all about it's all about dollars, as you say. So, That's my origi- I, I originally heard that it would be every other year with um, the the thirteen aside, so the championship, the America's Championship, um, in between as well. So, like we saw. Uh, for the World Cup qualifiers, so but I wouldn't be against you know seeing it as a as an opener to the seasons in the US and Canada. I think that would be awesome, man. But I guess to the final question for this for this topic and just wrapping things up. So looking at back at the event and the success that it was, is there anything you can think uh, that you think can be done to make the next one even better? Uh, yeah, you know what, I I would love to see. Um... The addition, you know, obviously the, the Latin Heat came in with a few injuries to the tournament, so it'd be it'd be wonderful to see some more interest from from Latin American con- uh, countries that can send some players up to see their squad grow. Um, yeah, yeah. I would, I, I, I was saying and suggesting beforehand that perhaps there might be, in order to make it like a, a true full day event, um, try and get maybe some of the local community clubs at the ORL level, um, yep. getting getting them involved and playing. The women's sport, obviously, it's got to go from strength to strength here. I think, and and seeing a uh, you know seeing a, a full full blooded Jamaican team uh, coming over, I'd love to see a, a USA women's side coming. And I know that that is uh, you know that's now been placed kind of under the charge of Nate Gladden. Yeah, um, that'll definitely be happening next time around. I think. Exactly. He he's going to be working tirelessly, I'm sure, just to see the you know see a, a women's competition develop and grow over the next couple of years. So. That would be what I'd love to see. Perhaps some youth competition involved as well. Um, that, yeah, that I think I think as well. The next time it happens, there's going to be more fans, more people who are who are accustomed to the game and interested in the game. So you'll see more more numbers through the gates, through the turnstiles. Uh, I do yeah. understand that, that that they had sold about 400 tickets um, for this event, which is you know I think that's that's a that's a good start. For, for something that's uh, brand new and, and still very much growing in, in the in the interest of Canadians over here. Um, so gate sales, things like that, I, I expect it all to just to just increase. Um, and there are the committed people behind the scenes running the show that are going to make that happen. It'll definitely get bigger and better. And man, just um, just a side note, I wish we uh, started a drinking game at the start of this episode take a shot every time Nate Gladden gets mentioned because he's getting a few getting a few mentions we would be we would have been half tipsy by now so that's it <laughs> Nate, Nate Gladden loving everything you're doing man obviously and uh cheers to you man um that what there's one thing that I'd change uh, that I'd change to make things better and it's more of okay. a it's it's more of a big picture thing it's not so much just about the Americas um the Americas nines the only thing I didn't like was the fact that this wasn't a qualifying tournament for the Nines World Cup at the end of the year. So 
Um, it w- I know USA are going to be there anyway, and that's how it would have panned out if this was the case. But I just think we have an opportunity to rectify this for 2023 when there's apparently going to be another Nines World Cup. And I'd love to see, obviously, you'd probably have about eight teams who qualify automatically, but I'd love to see some qualifiers come from the Americas Nines. You'd have a European Nines with teams qualifying from there. You'd have a Middle East Africa Nines with a team qualifying and maybe like an Asia-Pacific with any of the leftover islands and a few Asian sides as well with a team qualifying there. I think if we can get a bit of a circuit happening, and we've seen it can be successful at this level, and it can get bigger and better, let's do it all the way around the world, and let's let's get all these teams sort of fighting for something something huge, like a World Nines World Cup title. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. That would be great. Make it truly representative of... Uh, of, uh, of the globe and the and the countries that are within it so yeah let's see if we can't make this happen let's do it man and well done again on uh, on your commentary it was really entertaining man you did a great job for your first time as well so awesome stuff Cheers, man. appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> mate so topic number three and over over to europe now this was the probably the biggest part of the rugby league weekend for me so greece have taken a step closer to their first ever World Cup with an impressive 56 to 26 annihilation over Norway in London uh, on Saturday as well. So it was a big day for International Rugby League Saturday. The Greeks, they looked unstoppable in the first half, man. They were leading 32 to nil at half time. But Norway actually won the second half 26 to 24. So they put on a little bit of a comeback there. I'm not sure if Greece took the uh, took their foot off the gas, but um definitely was a different story in that second half mate um yeah you're you're half greek i uh, i understand so probably explains the accent a little bit as well but (laughs) yeah you have a little bit of an investment in this one for sure absolutely i do yes i mean uh proudly proudly greek on my mother's side and uh (laughs) it was it was great to see you know the part of me or part of my heritage can't come away with a, a big win there for sure um, what did what was your take on on the game as a whole? Did you you obviously got a chance to watch the full eighty? So you mentioned there Norway putting on a little bit of a comeback in the second half, but uh, anyone stand out? What what was what were the keys to Greece winning that one? Yeah, man, it was a quality match. I think the key stand out for Greece Greece were uh, their 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 dummy half, their number nine. So Peter Mamatsoulos, he's actually a South Sydney Jersey flag player. He scored four tries, man, and it's no surprise that he plays in the same club. As as uh, as Cook uh, for the for the Rabbitohs man because he played a, that's that very enigmatic style out of dummy half. He was very quick around the ruck, made a lot of good runs, and um, you get the feeling that Norway sort of never played against someone like him before because he really tore them up. Uh, the other player for Greece that really impressed me was Thodoris Neonakis. So he's the Aris Eagles second rower, and I've had a chance to see a little bit of him over the last month or so. So I saw a couple of Balkan Super League games that he played for Aris, and now this one as well. And let me tell you, I'm really impressed. Like, he's just got – I feel like, you know, someone like Stuart McLennan, the Aris Eagles coach, just threw him a rugby league ball, and he just knew what to do with it. Like, he's just very naturally talented and just – he moves well. He just fends well. He offloads well. He tackles well. And uh, I'll tell you what, he wouldn't look out of place in a League One side over in the UK. So if there's any any sides, I know there's a few – few people listening that are involved in league one if you're short a back rower then then have a chat to this greek boy because um i think he wouldn't be out of place over there and i'm just amazed that the greek domestic competition are producing players of of uh the 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 talent 
of Neonakis. So congratulations to them. Man, for Norway, um, their centres were good, and I'm probably going to mispronounce some of these, but Christoph Borsham and, and Frederick Norton. So he was actually Sinbin in the 26th minute, but they played well in the second half. Their halfback, Simon v- Villowen, the captain, he started giving the ball some air in that second half, and they got a little bit a little bit uh, more adventurous, and the centres had a field day in that second half. So I guess it uh, just goes to show if they if they were a little bit more confident in that first half, it might have been a different story. But but Greece, they, they led into this game really well. They've had some big matches in the lead-up. They've had some good preparation, and no one was going to take this away from them. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, that uh, Peter Mavitzelos looking fantastic there at, um, at dummy half. Um, a real-class operator. Interesting. He's he's with South Sydney. That's uh, so he he obviously got in under the the heritage tag there, and and with a much more Greek last name than myself, uh, <laughs> he you could see why he he looked fantastic. He said really great footwork in and around the uh, the ruck there, and, and dictating the tempo of the game and, and how Greece uh, attacked. I was very very impressed with him. Um, the squad from Greece were there a lot of heritage players there, or, you, or were many of them from the domestic competition? They had quite a few from the domestic comps. So they had four heritage players in their side. I think that's the max that they wanted to get across there. Uh, but mostly it was, it was domestic guys. So there was five from Aris. There was five from, from the Rhodes Knights who are undefeated over in the domestic comp over there. And then there was a few others from other other sides as well. So uh, very, very much domestic. And, and Norway, I believe, were the same. I think they only had one or two heritage players. Um, they had uh, a couple of players that live over there as well that, that – you know that that what what is it called residency so residency right. players right. too, that's right. So, but most most of these both of these teams were domestic. So it's a testament to the domestic competitions. Um, I've got to say Norway. They've got to be congratulated, man. I think they're the quiet achievers of the rugby league world. So when we're talking about domestic competition, they've got twelve clubs and five hundred and fifty registered players, and this has all been done with minimal resources. They they don't get. They don't get too much help, a little bit from the RLIF, of course, but um, it's a true testament to what their players and their administration are doing on the ground. They're working tirelessly, and the big win for them came before this match off the field when they uh, we heard earlier in the week that they, that Rugby League gained some government recognition over in Norway, which is fantastic. It means they're going to get a little bit more help, a little bit of money, and they're going to keep pushing and growing their domestic comp. They're going to be better for this, and, and next time around, who knows, we might see Norway in Greece's position. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, they've got some big, big things ahead of them. So, what do you, you know, 12, 12 domestic teams, uh, government recognition within the last week, which is absolutely massive. What do you see as being the next step for Norway as a rugby league nation? They just got to keep growing. So that those numbers need to grow. So those twelve clubs need to turn into twenty four. That five fifty players needs to turn into over a thousand. They'll keep growing. They'll keep getting better. Um, and then they just need more more international matches, which I think we'll see into the future. I know there's there's quite a bit planned uh, for Europe in terms of uh, A, B and C style national tournaments. So it's all happening. It's all in the works. And I think we're going to hear or we can expect to hear more about that soon. Uh, and I think Greece is going to benefit from that as well, man. They're going to go through to um, to the next stage of the World Cup, obviously, as we mentioned. So this is now the the business end of the qualifiers for them so they've been pulled with scotland and russia and two of those teams are going to go through to the world cup which is really exciting um i don't know how much you know about these sides gaz but what do you think uh greece's chances of getting through you know that's that's a very good question and, and i think the big unknown here is russia 
yeah. when you look at when you look at those three those three teams, Scotland, it's a lot of quality Scottish players playing throughout League One Championship and 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 a sprinkling of them as well in the Super League. Um, so I would expect of those three teams that Scotland are probably the the, the sort of dead set ringers to make the the World Cup. Um, it really comes down to that Greece against Russia matchup, and unfortunately, I just don't know enough about. Russian Rugby League and, and where they are in terms of their development and their squad. Um, I guess time will tell and, and we'll kind of bear witness to what happens there. But I do feel just watching uh, what I was able to watch of, of the Greece-Norway game and seeing the way that they played, if they can, you know, if they can maintain that kind of form and uh, and increase, you know, fitness levels and things like this to, to, to maintain their, their, their style of play and their tempo of play. Then it's 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 on for them really. It's kind of theirs to theirs to lose against Russia, and uh, who knows? We could be we could be seeing the uh, the blue and white of Greece uh, in the Rugby League World Cup. Man, I think we will be seeing it. I agree with you that Scotland are definitely going through. So whether or not they have they use some of their heritage plays in Super League or not, I think they're still going to be too strong for Greece and Russia. With Russia, so a um, little bit about about them. So last year. They couldn't get their domestic competition off the ground, so they had a year off. This year so far, they've had a little bit of nines action, uh, which has been exciting to see, and they've penciled in um, a domestic tournament for later in the year, which will lead them into to picking a national side for these qualifiers. I think Greece are a real chance, and this match against Russia is going to be really important. And what a reward it would be for the hard-working guys at the Greek Rugby League, who I don't know how much you know about what's happening over there, man, but... They've had a lot thrown up against them. So they've had rival rugby league factions trying to shut them down. They've had no government support. They've been playing games in secret because police have been shutting games down and shutting shutting grounds down so they wouldn't be able to play. But George Stylianos and, and the guys over there on the ground in Greece, they have done everything to get into the box position for this for this game. And I know for a fact that the rugby uh, football league, uh, the European Rugby Football League and the Greek Rugby League Association are going to get together to lobby the Greek government for support. And I really hope that this match against Russia is played at home in Athens and all the Greece can get behind them because it's going to be huge things for Greek Rugby League man. And your mum and her family would be very proud. Mate, topic number, topic number four. So the highly anticipated Super League clash between Catalans and Wigan at uh, FC Barcelona's home New Camp. It ended with a 33 to 16 victory to the Dragons. What what an event, mate! Did you? I don't know if you got to. I didn't actually get to watch this one, um, but I do know that the crowd 31,555. It's a new Super League regular season record. Uh, the previous, of course, being Wigan and St Helens. They got about 25,000 in 2005. And uh, the the cool fact, the cool stat here for me was it was actually the biggest crowd in the rugby league world over the weekend. Uh, the closest to that was the Broncos and Roosters at Suncorp Stadium, who got twenty eight thousand. Um, and according to forty twenty, the forty twenty podcast over in the UK today, out of the thirty one thousand strong crowd, about four thousand were Wigan fans, about six thousand were Dragons fans, and the rest were neutral. Uh, I think that's fantastic, mate. Well, what are your thoughts? What do you think we've learned here? I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, over thirty-one thousand. Like you say, that new record is just, you know, stunning. Really blew blew me away. Um, I think what this proves is that there is genuine interest on the on the mainland uh, European continent for the sport of rugby league. And yeah. you know, 
it being played there in, in, in Catalonia, in the Catalans region. Um, you know, they're, they're fiercely proud of their sort of like regional, uh, their regional identity. And I think what we can see here is that there's opportunity abound for the sport of rugby league in the Catalans region to grow and develop additional clubs and, and, and the community sport. Um, it proves that, you know, there's, there's, there's more to rugby league than the heartlands of the UK. There's always those detractors who, who keep on saying that, you know, the, the, the French sides, Toulouse and Catalans Dragons, uh, don't have a place in, in the English game. Uh, what do they bring? Well, I think, you know, it was showcased this weekend. What do they bring? They bring a seriously passionate fan base um, that is much more than what people actually get to see on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, man, they definitely proved all the the naysayers or the flat cappers, as uh, you or Rob call them on your show. They proved them all wrong. They proved them all wrong. We definitely can't be afraid to showcase our sport outside of the hardlands, and this is proof, man. There's actually been lots of talk in the UK press about maybe taking their magic round to Barcelona now. Do you agree with that? What are your thoughts there? I think that'd be fantastic. I mean, you just look at the one, it's the stadium, the setting, the city, everything works in favor of that magic weekend. Um, It's, you know, the new camp is just huge. You can definitely accommodate the fans. And I mean, what, you know, the the south of uh, France and, and, and into Spain is, is always flooded with Brits over the summer and, and especially in the winter as well. So it just it just makes sense to me that you you know it's such a big tourist attraction and and now if you can work in tandem with some some corporate sponsors and things like this that you can get a real bumper crowd and a record crowd for the Magic Weekend to to, to travel down from the UK and make a proper long weekend of this and uh, and enjoy the sport in a in a different setting. Yeah, I agree, man. I wouldn't be against it, that's for sure. Um, I have been thinking about it, though, over the last day or so, and I think, you know, Magic Round to me is like a celebration for existing rugby league fans. You know, they go away for the weekend and they and they just have a great time, which is fantastic, and they can certainly do that in Barcelona. But I think one, I think what I would be better, it would be very, it's very simple, actually, but all Catalan need to do is take a home game to Barcelona each year. It doesn't even have to be at, at New Camp. It can be at a smaller ground if they choose. But if they take a game each year and build their brand, it's a, and the rugby league's brand, off the back of an identity that the Cal- Catalonian Spanish can identify with, I think we could see some some serious inroads made into that part of Spain. And, mate, who would have thought we'd be speaking about something like that when we're talking rugby league? But then who would have thought I'd be speaking to a Canadian guy about rugby league <laughs> just a few short years ago? That's it. Yeah, the, the game is clearly growing and, the, and there's interest, um, you know, beyond the, the traditional heartlands of, of rugby league. That's clear to see. And and I totally agree with you. I think that that one off, you know, ju- it just needs to be that one off game, that one off game against, uh, you know, a, a, a big name, quote unquote, from the Super League, uh, like your Wiggins, your St. Helens, uh, Warrington's, any, anyone like that, really any team, who cares? Just just make it happen. And, <laughs> and I think it'll uh, I think you'll see it'll start taking off and. Certainly, it's something that we've seen here in, in Canada and that we've been, and in particular in Toronto, that we've been uh, sort of exposed to with the, the Buffalo Bills being kind of uh, Southern Ontario's NFL team. And often what they were doing is they were bringing up the Buffalo Bills for a one-off game in, uh, in Toronto at the, uh, the Rogers Centre, the Skydome, and packing yeah. that out with 50,000, 55,000 people. Now you're starting to see NFL games being taken to London, England. 
yeah. uh, packing out Wembley with 90 odd thousand people. So it's it's one of those things where that there's a blueprint for it and there's the clear success. How can we translate that to the sport of rugby league and make that a success? And and I think, you know, like you say, it hinges a lot on that that regional identity and that that fiercely proud Catalonian identity that they have in Spain and southern France, um, with the Basque region. So yeah, give it a go. What what have you got to lose at this point? If I had a website about everything rugby league, I'd probably call it everythingrugbyleague.com, but I can't. And you know why? Because it's already taken. The guys at everythingrugbyleague.com are the supporters of this episode of Chasing Kangaroos. Please check them out. They're seriously every all the news you could possibly want from NRL Super League, all the stuff from around the world that we talk about. It's usually there, everythingrugbyleague.com, and also follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with all the latest. <laughs> Guys, just jumping in here to rectify what was a technical issue when I did record this interview with Gareth. Uh, last time I had Gareth and Rob on the show, they um, they gave us a review of the Toulouse-Toronto match, which Toulouse absolutely flogged Toronto, so they weren't too happy about that. This time around, that has been uh, rectified. The football gods have gone the other way this time. A complete 180, it would seem. Uh, Toronto have defeated Toulouse 42-14 to at Blackpool in the summer bash and uh i asked gareth to give us uh, a happy review of this one yeah definitely happy about this one it wasn't exactly the 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 most enjoyable segment that we had to record for uh, <laughs> for someone else when we were telling you about the the Toulouse shellacking of toronto as you put it. it let's be honest it was a shit kicking um <laughs> but uh this time really really nice to see that 180 and, and to be honest it was something that i think you know, we as Toronto Wolfpack fans and, and Rob and myself in particular were, uh, you know, expecting and anticipating. There was there was no way that the Wolfpack uh, squad and, and Brian McDermott and the coaching staff there were, were prepared to accept the first result. Um, I know that with, with having these big aspirations and these grand ideas of making it into the Super League, you, you, you don't want to lose to your, your number one rival, as it were, in the league. So mm-hmm. they, had, they had to write the record there. And, and it was just great to see uh, what turned out to be, I, I, I think, a fairly impressive and somewhat dominant victory over the, the, other, the other realistic promotion hopefuls in the competition. I asked Gareth how he explains the complete 180 turnaround, pretty much 80 points difference between the sides since they last played. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I just, I look at what, uh, I look at the, 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 the first game to the last game, and whilst I didn't get a chance to watch the full, the full 80 because we didn't have the, uh, the broadcasting yeah. over France, um, from what I, what I saw when the game was in Toulouse was just some very weak, weak defending by the Toronto Wolfpack guys who were initially making the tackle and then just falling off of it and, and Toulouse being allowed to make easy yards and, and, and just sort of run away with it. This time, you saw a much more committed uh, a committed Toronto Wolfpack team, especially in defence. And really what it came down to was, I think, fundamentally, the Wolfpack forwards dominating the middle of the field and making their presence felt. And they just kind of, they they can they allowed the game to be controlled in a structure and tempo that the Wolfpack like to operate um, in, and and they really stifled the uh, the 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 creativity of the Toulouse halfbacks. There, you look at uh, Stan Roban and Ford, 
those two guys, when they get front foot ball, they're very yeah. creative and, and, and they can open up and unlock any defense that they really want to. But if you don't get that, that dominance uh, in the middle of the field, it just doesn't happen. So you looked at, looking across the board at the, at the Wolfpacks, two guys who really stood out for me, yeah. Adam Sidlow and Darcy Lussick. Those two props really dictated the uh, the tone of the game, and you could just see it when you know Darcy Lussick just rushed out of the defense and absolutely leveled one of the Toulouse uh, forwards there, uh, Sani, and just in no uncertain terms did they make them themselves known to to Toulouse, and that was I think the fundamental reason why they they were able to to win this game. So they won it up front and. See, like a lot of listeners would remember, he used to play for Manny over here in the NRL. But he uh, he's improved this season. I think he started off on the bench. But is he is he in the starting side now? Because he's been quite impressive. So yeah, he was he was starting this week. Um, typically, he does operate off of the interchange bench. And I honestly, you know, looking looking at how the the Wolfpack play, and I think how Brian Mack, the head coach, has got them playing stylistically. Darcy has been one of those guys who kind of brings a serious impact from the bench. I mean, he's a big guy. He's an absolute unit. He's got some speed to him as well and a, and a certain edge and intensity that just seemed to work seemed to work well at the early part of the season coming off the bench once teams have been kind of beaten down a little bit by that, uh, that, that combination of Adam Sidlow and Ashton Sims, another former NRL. Um, X-Dragon, yeah. one of my one of my favorites. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, another X-Dragon. We we seem to be uh, picking up all the all the stray dragons that have been leaving leaving the Aussie shores. But um, yeah, certainly at the we beginning could, of the season. We, we could sorry to sorry to interrupt, but we could probably give you a few more if you want them because we're uh, we're we sort of hit a bit of a slump at the moment, so we're probably looking to offload some boys if you're interested. But anyway, so, that's uh, another story. I, I wasn't going to bring it up. But what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'd, uh, we're not talking about that. Well, let's talk about the. No, no it was. Look, we've got a, we've got a few injuries. I think the the Jack the Bell and stuff certainly doesn't help. But um, uh, I see Paul McGregor, and I don't want this to be a St George topic, but I see Paul McGregor has um changed a few players in the side, which he's never really done in his time as head coach, uh, drop players. So it's going to be interesting to see how the boys the boys turn around there. But, uh, mate, back to the Wolfpack. So yeah. do, you th- do you think anyone can take this Super League spot away from them at the end of the year? Listen, nothing, we're, we're not taking anything for granted as fans of the Wolfpack. Obviously, we have high expectations and we are yeah. kind of... We're, we're, we're calling for blood and we want we want the uh, the Wolfpack to basically just dominate whoever they play and, and, and waltz right into the Super League. But we're under we're under no false pretenses or, or, or taking anything for granted here. Let's be real. The the Toronto Wolfpack can be beaten. They have been beaten. Yep. Um, and and on any given Sunday, as it were, uh, history could repeat <laughs> itself. But you know, the, the London Broncos in the million pound game last year, it was a very tight tight game and they came away the winners taking their chances where they could and, and the Wolfpack didn't you know didn't really and they and they couldn't get over the line I think this year it will be a, a different story but they're not perfect no one is and uh you know if and we, we've seen other games in the season this year with the Toronto Wolfpack against for example Dewsbury uh, yeah. up in up in the, in the sideways rain in Dewsbury there in northern England uh Dewsbury almost came out the winners there, and but for a but for a handful of uh, pretty pretty terrible errors on their part, they probably would have come away the winners. So I mean, anything can happen is what I'm saying here, and and we we obviously have the high expectations. I expect the Wolfpack will get into the Super League, but 
they can't just sit back and rest on their laurels now. That's the thing about the championship. It may look black and white at times, but really uh, there's some strong sides there and some strong competition. You look at Bradford, who just defeated Leeds in the the Challenge Cup. So this is a a team that's coming fifth or sixth in in the championship and they're beating Super League sides. So really anything can happen at this level. And I think I was a little bit worried, you know, last year when you guys lost that game to London because I, I didn't know how the club or the fans would react to, to not, to, to, you know, not quali- qualifying for Super League. But I, I kind of think it's been the best thing that could have happened because it's really built some resilience in the side, in the club. The fans have come back even stronger. I think you're ready to go, man. And I know you don't want to say it, but I think you guys are going to be there. I think you're ready. And it sort of brings me to my next question or my next point, but I just wanted, to, uh, wondering how, or if you could describe how the locals have accepted the Wolfpack into the sporting landscape of the city and, and how that's grown over the past couple of years. Well, yeah, in, in short, with arms wide open, the uh, the fan base of the Wolfpack is, you know, I, I think you're right when you say that the that, that not making the Super League last year was probably the, the, the better option for the club. It's galvanised the squad um, they made a couple of great additions, and I think that the, they've got now the final jigsaw puzzle is, is complete and to, to, to make that final push and get over the, the finish line and into the Super League. But from a fan's perspective, you know, they, they've really rallied around the club this season. And, and case in point, you see the, the, home, the true home opener. Obviously, we play three home games a year in the UK as per the RFL uh, and, and their, their stipulations. But, um, you know, the home opener in Toronto this season was almost a crowd of 9,600 people. And the capacity of Lamport Stadium, if, if you go off of the gospel that is Wikipedia, is 9,600. <laughs> it was like 9,530-something 9, people. So a yeah, near-capacity wow. crowd, a near-capacity crowd setting, a, 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 at the time at least, a, a, a championship regular season record attendance, which I believe uh, Lee then beat the next day or, or the following week. But anyway, so... You're seeing this 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 huge swell and sustained support for the club. New people uh, every game coming, watching, and coming away from it singing the praises of what a great event. Not just what a great game, but what a great day out for the supporters, for their families who come and take a take a look and, and watch for the first time or for the tenth time. Who knows? It's um, it's fantastic, and now there's. There's definitely that recognition from the mass media as well. We had That's fantastic. On, yeah, we had recently on social media um, for the first time, I think, in uh, at least in Toronto sporting history, but perhaps in North America, with a city that has you know six major sporting franchises as they're called up here. They all won on the same weekend, so you had you know, the, and, and the Wolfpack were included in that. So you had the the Maple Leafs won, the Raptors won, the Blue Jays won. The Marlies one, TFC one, and then the the Wolfpack one as well. So it was it was you know the, the Argonauts, the football team weren't playing at the time, but I'm sure had they been playing, it would have been seven from seven. So it's just great to see that you know even the major sporting networks, TSN, Sportsnet, all these guys, the radio stations are also getting behind the Wolfpack and starting to sit up, take notice of the achievements that they are that they that they're putting out there the attention they're getting from the fandom and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's growing, which is, which is fantastic. Um, throw in now the fact that in principle, Ottawa have been accepted. And, and I think it's just, 
you know, a, a recipe for success at this point. So what you're telling me is you need a bigger stadium and a bigger, bigger, bigger. It's probably, it's probably <laughs> definitely in the future plans. I think so. I think so. I mean, there's going to come a point when Lamport is, uh, is, is no longer big enough, which is, you know, who'd have thought three years into the, into the Wolfpack, uh, and I don't want to use the word experiment, but into the, into the life of the Wolfpack, that we would be looking at maxing out the home stadium so soon and contemplating a, uh, you know, maybe a move just down the road to BMO Field. Uh, which is where the um, the Toronto Football Club and the Argonauts play, and that's like a thirty-five thousand um, seat stadium. And I mean, they've got the full infrastructure in place. When you when you come to the Den, when you come to Lamport Stadium, you're getting a no frills uh, sort of experience in terms of the the surroundings. But all the all the bells and whistles are applied with the with the game day experience in terms of the, the showcasing of the sport and the beer garden and things like this. It, it just it's it's now how do we escalate this? How do we ramp up and, and and make the next step? And personally, I would like to see Lamport getting a bit of a refresh and a yeah. bit of an ex, a bit of expansion to accommodate you know up to sort of twelve, thirteen, maybe even fifteen thousand fans and a a permanent beer garden being installed. That would be that would be my dream. I'd love to see some uh, some, <laughs> some some free flowing taps of beer being installed there. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. The future is bright, and I think over the next two three years, David Argyle and the uh, and the city are going to have to have a, a a very candid sit down around the table about what's going to happen to Lamport and where the Wolfpack are going to be playing in the future. And well, I think that's all positive news it's fantastic i do like your plan of uh, maybe expanding it a little bit for the time being because i know speaking from experience over here in sydney we've got we've got an eighty thousand seat stadium which uh gets about 20 20 000, 25 000 at best it's not it's not great you know and it's a good sized crowd in a smaller stadium but it's just it's just there's no atmosphere when you're in if you guys were getting 12 13 000 in a thirty-five thousand seater it will just take so much away from that game day experience that the Wolfpack has so quickly become uh, so well known for. Man, that that be, stories of the beer garden and all that sort of stuff. Like, I, know, I speak to a lot of people here in Sydney that that have uh, Lamport Stadium or watching a Toronto Wolfpack game as part of their rugby league bucket list. So, you guys That's are doing amazing. something right. Yeah, you just got to keep doing it, man. And I got I got to thank yourself and Rob because um. I learned so much about Toronto Wolfpack from you guys, so you're doing a great job, and I'm, I'm glad we've had a chance. I've had a chance to like speak to you in person about it too, so that's been pretty awesome, man. Yeah, it's been a real privilege. You know, I've been uh, been very lucky to be part of the Wolfpack kind of uh, story so far, in whatever capacity I've been, you know, volunteering on game day and stuff like that. And it's it's been a real treat to be on 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 the Chasing Kangaroos show as well. Thank you very much for that. Uh, can't wait for you to get over here. Hopefully, you put the Wolfpack. Uh, home game on your rugby league bucket list. And if you do, then uh, I'll be looking for you in the beer garden. Mate, it's 100% on my bucket list. I just got to figure out, uh, you know, if I'm bringing the kids with me or, or what's going on there, because, you know, times are tough at the moment. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but um, we're not traveling much further than the central coast, which is an hour drive from Sydney, put it that way. But um, good time. I'll, I'll definitely eventually get there. Well, Men, look, I'm happy to uh, let you go here if you like, or... I do. Um, I have a segment on the show which you you know about, obviously called Golden Points, where yeah. I quickly go around the world. So um, you can stick around with me if you like, and I'll run through my Golden Points for this week and see if you have any thoughts as we go. What do you reckon? Sounds great. I'll, I'll hang tight with you. 
<laughs> Thanks, man. I can use the company, that's for sure. So, um, so, so golden points. Let's start over in Istanbul in Turkey. So, Turkey have played their first women's international rugby league match. They defeated my Italian side 14 to 10. And this match was the highlight of the RLEF Congress meeting in the Turkish capital over the weekend also. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what came out of that Congress meeting as well. We haven't heard too much yet. But uh, big congratulations to the Turkish women who got who are undefeated in international rugby league, which is fantastic. Uh, golden yeah, the most, point. The most winning, the most winning team in international rugby league. The most winningest team, that's for sure. Made over <laughs> to um, golden point to Hong Kong, and I believe um, you're probably a bit. This is a close one to your heart. I believe you lived in Hong Kong for a little while. Is that right? That's it. I, I grew up there. Twenty years of my life was spent in uh, in the Pearl of the Orient. Yes. See, this accent, mate, it's all making sense as we, as the show goes on. But the 2019 <laughs> Hong Kong Super League kicks off this weekend. Uh, current champions Pacific Toa will open the season against new side, the Oriana Storm. It's a, it's a three-team competition, so very modest, but the other team being the, the Wan Chai Warriors, um, and they've been runners-up for the past two years in a row. So this comp runs to the end of July. I'm not sure if you know too much about that, being, a, being an old, old uh, Hong Kong boy. Uh, it's it's something that I'm still trying to to, to learn a little bit more about and, and get as much information as I can. But certainly, yes, the, I'm familiar with the Wan Chai Warriors name and the and the the tour, Pacific Tour. Um, great to see that a new new club is involved there in, in the Hong Kong Rugby League setup. I know that Hong Kong were in the uh, Emerging Nations World Cup. What was it in 2018? 2017? Yeah, it was last year, 2018. 2018. That's it. Yeah, so that's fantastic. I mean, I, I obviously when I was growing up, rugby league was not thing at all in Hong Kong it's it's very much rugby union dominated uh, city but great to see that there's some passionate people out there who are trying to make the sport uh, you know a, a bigger and bigger part of the society right, baby steps and uh, golden points over to the NRL and we don't talk a lot of NRL but I will say late last week Channel 9 reported that the Penn family who own the Manly Seagulls are looking to sell their stake in the club so, mate, um, no further news since then, but it could be interesting to see what happens next. You know, there's been jokes that maybe the North Sydney Bears could buy could buy the Manly <laughs> franchise and, and take them over. Mate, I don't know if like Eric, uh, David Argyle or Eric Perez is interested in maybe buying the, the Manly Seagulls and, and doing something there, getting some beer gardens or moving them to Perth maybe, but uh, maybe you should put in put in a good word, mate, with, with David Argyle and see, see what That's happens. Us. I tell you what, mate. Why don't you take a look down the back of your sofa? I'll take a look down the back of mine, and we'll try and stump <laughs> up the cash together and move them out to Perth. Eh? Sounds like a plan. We'll call them the Perth Wolf Pack. <laughs> the Perth Wolf, because <laughs> that would go down like a lead balloon. Oh. <laughs> mate, golden point, and over to the UK. So in under 19s action, so there was a friendly match between Wales and Ireland. Uh, Wales won 34 to 10. And there's some impressive young talent in this side, man, including their halfback, Lewis Hall, who plays for Warrington Academy, and uh, their centre, uh, Lewis Roberts, who plays for Salford Academy. So I hope to see these boys and a few others in Super League in the near future. But uh, Wales really kicking goals, man, at, at the junior levels. And uh, hopefully that can uh, translate into, some, into a stronger national side in the years to come. And speaking of that area, uh, Golden Point, over to Scotland. So thank you to our listener, James Beckett, for this one. So James is involved in the Glasgow Rugby League Club in, in the Scottish Rugby League. So the club have reformed to play their first game in, in over four years. 
Uh, they defeated the Fifi Lions 54-44 to in round one of the Scottish League. And James, tell me that this was the first rugby league game for a few rugby union players, a little bit like yourself, Gareth. They really enjoyed this version of rugby more than they expected. And uh, the Scottish Rugby League have been very helpful in re-establishing the club. And they're now planning to help Glasgow introduce rugby league to local schools where rugby union is not focusing too or paying too much attention. So really exciting news from over there. And, and James, thanks for reaching out. And if you have uh, any more news for us throughout the year, we're happy to share it here. Um, Golden point, uh, and this is a sad one from New Zealand, but, um, mate, I don't know, uh, Gareth, if you ever got to watch Quinn and Pongia play. Uh, or if you you haven't been a rugby league fan for I, for that long, I suppose I didn't get a chance to watch him play, unfortunately. But uh, I did hear about news. Yeah, he lost his battle with cancer over the over the weekend. So I just really wanted to to I guess maybe dedicate these golden points to him and his family. Um, he I always remember him causing havoc for the Canberra Raiders back in their glory days. But he also pulled on the jersey for the Auckland Warriors. He had a couple of matches for St George as well, which was which was great. He only two or three matches there. He had it's pretty much an injury riddled season for him. But he also spent some time over in Wigan and definitely one of the true tough men of his era. He'll go down as a as a legend of Kiwi rugby league. But on to um on to happier news and Golden Point over to Papua New Guinea. So I mention these guys every week, the Agmark Gurias. I mention I'm gonna mention them until they lose a match. So they have won seven in a row uh, last week, defeating the Engar Myox nineteen to ten. And um yeah, I say it every week. Papua New Guinea and rugby league. Really exciting if you can get his hands on some highlights. I mean Golden Point it's in some live streams have been announced, or services have been announced today. One of these you might enjoy, or you might know a little bit more about too, Gareth. But the first one, um, we had an, an announcement from the London Nines that the tournament will be streamed live online. Uh, so we'll get to watch teams like Red Star, Belgrade, Lithuania, Africa United, and the Welsh Mighty Ducks, and many, many more in this tournament, which is really exciting. But we've also learned, I learned this today uh, for the first time, that there's a new America's Rugby League Facebook page. Do you know much about this one, man? Uh, might be some news to me here, buddy. Yeah, well, they've they've set up a stream, uh, a streaming service on Facebook, which will show it's showing it's currently got the America's Nines games there for anyone that's missed it. But they're looking at showing some USARL matches and the grudge match between Jamaica and USA in June as well. So that could be some exciting times. And uh, the final golden point for tonight, so over to Tonga. And uh, I just learnt about this one about two hours ago. So the Daily Telegraph was reporting that uh, that uh, Tongan uh, Tongan International Tavita Pangai has backflipped on New South Wales to commit to Tonga just a few months after backflipping on Tonga to commit to New South Wales. So really exciting news for the Tongan side. Um, I'm not sure Tavita Pangai uh, would have made the New South Wales side in his current form, but it was definitely in contention. And I know that um, when he pulls on that Tongan jersey, he definitely steps up a gear. So I think that's the, the most incredible news we could have could have expected. So well done to Tavita Pangai and Tonga. But, mate, that's my golden points uh, for the Knights. So, mate, unless you want to add anything else, mate, I think I think that's pretty much it. I think you I think you covered it all there, pal. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, Gareth, can you maybe let the fans know or let the listeners know uh, where they can hear yourself and Rob on the Howling Hour and uh, how they can follow you guys on social media as well? Yeah, absolutely. So Howling Hour podcast, you can find in all the usual places, uh, Spotify, iTunes. Um, you can find it on our Podbean website website as well. Um, we're on social media, Twitter um, and Instagram at Howling Hour. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. 
we get our, our episodes out uh, once a week. And in fact, when I get off the, 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 the line with you, I've got about a two hour break and then I got Rob coming over to, to my place and we're, we're going to be recording in my office today. <laughs> And uh, that's going to be going out uh, tomorrow morning, so it'll be probably Thursday your time, I suspect, or Wednesday night, late Wednesday night uh, your time that it comes out. I can never keep track of the the time distance or the time difference, I should say. Um, but yeah, that's that's in a in a nutshell where you can find us. But Carbs, I want to thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been a real privilege, and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, you're doing a bang up job with the the Chasing Kangaroos podcast, and uh, long may it continue. Thanks, man. Same with you guys. It's been, it's actually been really awesome chatting you, chatting to you tonight. And I appreciate the company. Your knowledge in rugby league around the world uh, is fantastic. So it's been good to talk, and I'm sure our, our listeners would agree. Um, it's good to know that you're recording in two hours and releasing soon, because it means our listeners can listen to our show and your show back to back tomorrow or the next day. So that's going to be fantastic too, man. But uh, tell Rob I said hello, and uh, mate, thank you for being part of Chasing Kangaroos. Absolutely. Cheers, mate. Anytime. You let me know if you want me back and I'll, and I'll be there.